0: everyone thank you for joining us today for the Thursday February 15 2024 public safety finance and strategic support committee Uh, before we get started let me just read a statement that we do every meeting before we begin I want to remind the public safety finance and strategic support committee members and members of the public to follow our code of conduct at meetings this includes commenting on the specific agenda item only and addressing the full body Public speakers will not engage in a conversation with the chair, council members, or staff. All members of the Public Safety Finance Strategic Support Committee, staff, and the public are expected to refrain from abusive language. Repeated failure to comply with the code of conduct which will disturb, link, which will disturb, disrupt, or impede the orderly conduct of this meeting may result in removal from the meeting. This meeting of the Public Safety Finance Strategic Support Committee will now come to order. Can the clerk's office please call the roll?
1: Chair Jimenez. Present. Vice Chair Duan. Present. Kame, Here. Torres. Here. And Batra. Present. Thank you.
0: Okay. We have a quorum. Uh, First item is review of the work plan. Um, Do we have any public comment on that?
1: I believe we have one card. Somebody let me just double check. Make sure the items. For
0: another item, we'll okay. go back to the committee. All right, perfect. Okay, and re- actually, can you remind me do we need a motion for a review of the work plan? I'm not sure we, I don't believe so. Okay, all right, perfect. We'll go on to uh, consent calendar. There being nothing on the consent calendar, we'll move on to uh, reports to committee, unless the public comment was on the consent calendar, but there's nothing, so we'll go on to D, reports of the committee. First uh, up is card room status report. I think we have uh, Sarah Sarate and Steve Stamos. Please.
2: Good afternoon, Chairman Jimenez and committee members. My name is Sarah Sarate. I am the director of the city manager's office of administration, policy, and intergovernmental relations. I'm here to provide you a verbal update on intergovernmental issues related to card rooms operating in the city of San Jose. To begin, I'll have to take you back to the last day of the legislative session in 2022 when a gut and amend bill was introduced to extend the state's card room moratorium that was about to lapse. The city and other key stakeholders, including the city's card rooms, were able to successfully defeat that legislation, the outcome of which meant that card room, the cardroom moratorium lapsed on January 1st, 2023 creating a unique window of opportunity for the city's two card rooms, Bay 101 and Casino Matrix, to apply for an increase in card tables as approved by city voters in Measure H in 2020. The city's IGR team and lobbying teams in Sacramento engaged in extensive advocacy work on this issue last legislative cycle, as the lapse of the moratorium triggered both the opportunity for card rooms to apply for tables and in parallel a new bill ab341 to reinstate the moratorium in regard to the increase in tables the city supported the card room's applications and provided testimony at the, their hearings at the california gambling control commission unfortunately however in april 2023 the commission recommended the applications be denied, ultimately pointing to issues they contended existed with measure H's ballot language, not being substantially in compliance with business and professions code section one nine nine six one C given the absence of any reference to a 1996 limit on tables. The city strongly disagrees with the commission's interpretation. Again, in parallel to the card room seeking table increases, a new bill was introduced AB three four one, the city spent considerable time advocating to have an amendment added to this bill that if included in its entirety, the city believed would address the issue with BP code section one nine nine six one C. An indicator of the magnitude of that lobbying effort is seen in the city getting half of its amendment included in a B three, four, one, a B three, four, one was signed into law and it reinstated the cardroom moratorium. More recently in mid July of 2023, another bill was introduced SB five, four, nine, that again brought to the forefront issues with a private attorney general act known as Paga. This bill gives sovereign tribal governments a new Paga like private right of action to bring litigation challenging license games offered in California card rooms. If it becomes law, this could severely impact operations in the San Jose card rooms, putting jobs at risk and millions in city funding at risk. Ensuring this bill is defeated is a priority for the city and for the city's card rooms. The bill was referred to the assembly governmental organization committee but does not yet have a hearing scheduled although one is expected on january 30th our igr team submitted to our delegation members a package of eight letters opposing this legislation and on february 5th the city of san jose and bay 101 and casino matrix jointly met with delegation uh, members in Sacramento to help educate and emphasize how damaging this bill would be both for the city and our card rooms, and specifically its potential impacts to jobs and city services. In addition, we have been directly engaging with Assembly GEO Chairwoman Blanca Rubio, as well as the Card Room Alliance Coalition. As the session continues to take shape, we will continue to advocate in coordination with our card rooms to deliver a strong message in opposition to SB 549. This concludes my presentation, and I'd be happy to take questions. Also, our card rooms are in the audience.
0: Thank you so much. We'll go to public comment and then bring it to, to the committee.
2: We have no public
1: comment. Back to the committee.
0: Okay, there being no public comment, uh, I'll bring it to the committee. And it seems like Councilmember Torres has his hand raised.
3: Great. Uh, thank you so much for, for that uh, presentation, verbal presentation. So, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, myself and Councilmember Duan, wow, that's really loud today. Uh, myself and Councilmember Duan submitted a memo. And, you know, after having conversation with our city manager's office and city attorney, right, I've, uh, I've decided not to motion for my memo, uh, or our memo, I should say. Um, but I, I, do, I just want to let folks know that there still needs to be a sense of urgency regarding this topic. Uh, so that's why, for me, it was important to, to submit my memo. But, you know, we're, we're all one team and so I think we could all work together to, to figure out the, the, the kinks of, of my memo, and so that's why I am, um, I'm making a motion, uh, one, to withdraw my, my memo from myself and Council Member Duan, and, in, and instead agendaize it for the March pis uh, for the March pis so. I'll
0: second. Okay, there's a motion and a second. Uh, any other questions,
4: comments? Or, or, or Lee, please. Just uh, thank you, council member, uh, appreciate that. And just to offer maybe uh, a path forward that's more direct. Um, looking at the memo, there's, I would say, obviously the administration has, has several concerns, starting with just the policy question. Do you wanna change the regulations in, in general? And I think the full council needs to, to give direction around that before We arrive at a conclusion what that is um, but ultimately eliminating a a card room regulatory fee is something that would need to happen through the budget process because as proposed in this memorandum it does create uh, a general fund liability of you know anywhere between a million or two million dollars so i think if we were to come forward in the march PISFIS meeting we're well into the budget process um, and ultimately would still need to get referred to council to give us direction to even start examining this so I would um, recommend that um, I don't think you guys can refer this as agendized, but you could certainly um, put forward this memorandum to the rules committee, which then could ultimately go to council and probably be heard before our next agendized PISFIS meeting. Um, because if it is something the council uh, wants to grapple with, meeting the budget process in that June 2024 timeline would be tight if we give it another four weeks before it's even discussed okay
3: well that that's a uh, that was that's uh, a wrench in the
4: <laughs> in the, in the, in in the process uh, um, it's just a way for you to expedite it by sending it to rules so that you guys can have that uh, question answered for you because I the way we put the budget together is we' will obviously seek direction from you guys as part of the March message but we're' well into working with departments on, on how to balance okay. those things. And so I, I want to make sure if you're really interested in this that we have the ability um, and space to do that work versus kind of delaying yeah. it by four weeks. So uh,
3: may I ask a question, Mr. Please. Chair? So the my question would be so I get I get what, what what you just explained but you know in via as an elected official when we talk about when we talk about new revenue then we start talking about the budget. But this is not this is not new new revenue. It's just because we are, are we asked we are reconsidering is it because the memo is uh, reconsidering the fees or the way we intake those 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 fees and the and the taxes? Is that
4: why we need to go to budget? Yeah, so anytime we're establishing a new fee or eliminating a fee or or even or amending a a fee. Um, It does need to be considered through the budget process. That's what the budget balancing guidelines that you guys have passed to give us. Um, And as written, and I'm sure we would need some space to kind of work through some of these questions, but um, while it talks about alignment to state regulations and removing duplicative regulations, it still seems like there's some type of function of regulation but within the recommendation, it also talks about just eliminating the regulatory fee altogether, which means the council would need to contemplate putting general fund um, behind such regulations if there was no regulatory fee. So that that's why it would need to happen within the budget process.
3: All, all right, so, I, I, so do, do we have to amend the, the motion or just? just kind of say everything what he said.
4: <laughs> I, I guess I would ask the, the question of the city attorney, do we have the power just to refer this to the Rules Committee, or would they need to resubmit their memorandum to the Rules Committee?
5: Um, I think
1: PISVIS can refer it to the Rules Committee, your memo as it is.
3: Okay, so we'll, we'll, I'll amend my motion to... Move it to. to? Yeah, for that language, yeah. That exact language. <laughs> Yeah, we'll move I don't want to repeat everything what you, that you just said, but yeah, I think that, that So the seconder
0: is okay with that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Any other comments? Yeah. I have a question, but any other comments, thoughts? Okay. So thank, ne- you, thank you. Next, yeah. we have uh, Councilor mm-hmm. Rabatr.
6: Yeah, I want to get a clarification on. You talked about the changes which happened. They posed a huge. Uh, risk to our card rooms and to the revenue which we get and the employment. If we don't do anything, what we are talking about here, are we in danger of not having any revenue beyond certain amount of months?
2: Thank you, council member. Um, I think it all depends what happens in Sacramento. The bill right now was referred to a committee, but it hasn't been scheduled for a hearing and it has several steps after that. So it would depend if if this bill actually became law, the impacts of, you know, what it would mean for the city. There's a lot of additional steps that would have to happen.
6: Okay. And are we currently duplicating a lot of work with the state? Uh, as a city of San Jose and we are adding a value to it In terms of the Lee probably you want to pick it up.
4: Yeah, so it's it's something that the Assistant chief and I have asked the gaming a division to do is look at our own Regulations and the state and kind of come up with a framework for us to look knowing that this conversation was going to happen I'm sure there are overlaps. We've had a, a very robust uh, regulatory model that the state quite frankly has, has taken pieces of so I, I'm, I'm sure there's some overlap but how much or how little I don't think I, we'd be prepared to answer that question today.
6: So so where would be the right place to get that evaluation to happen, whether we need the kind of, when we started nowadays this thing has been an evolution for a while so we learned things. Sometimes we need to do certain things to start with, and then they become redundant because they become part of the system and the process. So what would be the right place to have that evaluation take place that do we current, whatever we're currently doing, should we continue to do? Should we do more? Should we do less? Should we charge less? Should we not charge at all? What's the right place for that evaluation to happen?
4: It's a a very good question, and I I don't want to speak for the Rules Committee members because they haven't heard this yet, but traditionally when a proposal like this comes forward, um, in addition to just asking the administration, you know, for a workload analysis, can this get done? Do you have the means to go ahead and research this? Rules Committee has given us direction when we have a memorandum that kind of comes to a conclusion, backing it up and asking for staff's recommendation, or if we were going to remove things, because I think you're, you're absolutely right. The the question of should we re-examine the regulatory framework is a good question. And without knowing what that framework is, what the state does and what we do, it is hard for you to make a, a decision. So I, I would imagine the Rules Committee would give us some type of direction when we come forward uh, through the budget process to brief you all um, in some manner or fashion so you have that.
6: Okay. So, so that's where we'll get the fair evaluation of um, what should be what it should look like, okay. So that, that's fine, okay. Thank you very much. Okay.
0: Thank you, we're gonna to go to Vice Mayor Kameh.
7: Thank you. I know that we were supposed to have uh, a workshop on uh, fees and, and I'm wondering, um, is, is is that going to uh, occur? I know we always talk about you know the evaluation of different fees and all of that. Um, uh, when is that uh, happening? Because it seems to me that it would be appropriate to, you know, as part of the discussion on fees, um, would that come together or?
4: So the the way the rules committee split up those study sessions, we're going to do the fee study session as part of the budget study sessions that begin in May. Mm -hmm. So that's once the proposed budget comes out. I recommended the rules route to Councilmember Torres um, so this because be I think it's, it's too late really, once the proposed budget comes out, as Jim has kind of mentioned in some of them, like right. unraveling that is, is very hard. So we, if the council is interested in alternative service delivery here, it, it's something that we would probably do most of that work and come forward Before. with. Before
7: Okay, got it. But it's an
4: excellent question, though, because that that study session in May will look very different than what it has in the past because of the direction around fees and charges.
7: Yeah, okay. That sounds great. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Just two questions. One is, uh, Sarah, can you share sort of what your thoughts are. Obviously, I know the uh, big bone of contention with the card rooms are just the tables that they never got because of the, the state law and everything that's been happening. What, what would you estimate of the chances that they would actually be able to get those tables at some point, if you had to venture a guess?
2: I don't know that I would uh, place any bets right now Honda. <laughs> um What I... <laughs> what i will say is that those tables were denied back in april of 2023 since then um, the ab341 has passed and it does have a what we call the san jose amendment built into it and i don't know if the card rooms have applied since that bill passed to test whether that language will allow the increase in tables or not i would have to ask that of the card rooms
0: okay is, is there anyone that maybe wants to chime in on that or share their perspective Rob or?
8: didn't know I was gonna have to speak today good afternoon thank you for the question um, and thank you for the report uh, on behalf of Bay uh, Casino Matrix Bay 101 I don't believe is here
9: oh Oh, hello.
8: they have an appeal going so he might have a better understanding we have applied for the tables twice as indicated, um, and we d- we did have one appeal, which we minor appeal, which we lost as a writ proceeding, and um, we were the indication was that the commission's decision that there would be no tables was you know appropriate and final. Um, and as I said, I won't speak for Bay One Hundred and One, but there has been a further appeal of that. Um, from my perspective, having dealt with the commission for a decade now, I think it's very very unlikely so not taking any bets on it is a good answer does that help
0: that does help thank you and, and if bay 101 representative has any thoughts
8: open for any other questions too thank you thank you
10: all uh, right good afternoon uh, Gustin woodson general counsel for bay 101. uh the only thing i'll add in terms of the appeal that we have we're in our final stages there uh, before a panel of three appellate judges. We have submitted our final briefing. The commission has submitted their final briefing. And currently, we're looking to get a scheduling of oral dates on that, um, oral arguments. And my, my best guess or estimation would be two to three months. Um, we'll have the oral argument dates, So then, generally, there's a 90-day timeline, essentially, that they can return a judgment on that. So there, we got some, some roadway ahead of us on that. About
0: six months out or so. Could potentially. To so? Could be. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you.
11: Thank ha- have you. Bay 101 tested the, the AB 341?
10: No, we didn't test those those waters yet. Um, but I would I would venture to echo Mr. Lindo's sentiment regarding that. So.
11: Well, you don't know if you're going to have it until you try it, right? What's that? You don't know if the water is there unless you test it.
10: That's correct. Yeah. But currently, okay. we're pursuing our appellate route right now for the tables. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Okay, thanks. And then the the other question I had is it relates to rules. Did we I don't think we specified which rules committee it would come to like if it's next week or the week after or before a certain date. I mean, is there just given the time of the budget process, it seems to me that maybe the sooner the better. And do would it be helpful to say exactly what date we want it to come to rules or leave?
4: Yeah, I'm I'm totally open to that. I do think because of the short runway here, the sooner the better okay um i think it's it's not a whole lot of us preparing for for rules next week i think we're just referring the memo there and obviously there's as i've said we we have concerns with the memo that we would need to work through with rules but there's nothing for us to prepare um so it can be as early as next week if uh you guys want to give that direction
0: i Uh, I think uh, it'd be helpful to see maybe as soon as possible but no later than like 20 the 28th of uh, february sure yeah uh, so
4: that's uh, like two weeks out but
0: as soon as possible, but
4: no later than that. Sure, anyways. yeah, whatever you you okay. guys are open to, we're, we right. are amenable.
0: Okay, and, th- and then, okay, great. And I think the or you're okay right. with that? I'm okay with it. All right, and, and then Lee, help me understand. So, you know, I think it's safe to say that, you know, I, I'm reading between the Vs, You and I haven't had a conversation about this, and obviously read the memo, um, but staff probably has some, con- some, some concerns about this. Um, and so what I'm curious about is, We've established a new process at rules, you all are going to come and... So the process, I'm trying to remember the exact process, the process now is that someone submits something to rules, you all come forward and maybe have some thoughts on it. We then say, okay, go out and study it and then come back, right? So there's an extra layer. Submitting this to rules, is it already assumed that uh, we want you to go do the work to figure out, to to give us your opinion, if you will, or, or are we going to have to, it's going to come to the rules and then we kick it out for you to go do the work and then it go back again? Or what, what, what do you think the process is?
4: Yeah, te- technically it's a two-step process. Um, the Rules Committee now makes, you know, a, a policy judgment. Is this worth staff's expiration? Are we as a Rules Committee interested in looking at the regulatory framework? And if the Rules Committee wants to do that, we will go back and do some workload analysis. Um, I especially think you know it can come up through the budget process as well um which this will we will likely come back and say yes we can do this work as part of the budget process if so directed because it is budgetary in nature so I, I don't have a concern about our capacity to pull that off um but i do think the the question for rules will be and then the full council is this worth exploring at a, at a policy level
0: okay so, because of that two-step process then i would say i mean i think you emphasize it coming before us sooner rather than later at rules so i would say to the extent that it can come next week so that way we can give that direction assuming sure. that's the will of rules and it happened much quicker yeah we're,
4: we're totally fine with next week yeah, okay yeah.
0: all right then i would maybe ask to modify the motion further sure, and we'll, just for you. next week
12: yeah
11: for next week <laughs> yeah. uh, i'll second it, but, but i want to ask you a quick question <clears throat> you have enough information in order to, without any further discussion from staff to, to move it to rules. Uh, am I clear on that?
4: That is correct. Yes. Perfect. Let's to move it forward call. then. <laughs> okay, all right. So
0: it seems like that's, uh, I don't see any other hands raised, so we'll go ahead and uh, I guess we, well, we need to approve the motion giving direction to Senate to rule. So there's a motion and a second, we'll go ahead and vote. unanimous.
1: And that passes unanimously.
0: Thank you. We're going to move on to item number two. Thank you so much, Sarah. We're going to move on to item number two, second quarter financial reports fiscal year 2023-2024.
13: Good afternoon, committee chair and members. My name is Rick Bruno, director of finance. Uh, Due to today's rather uh, long agenda, I will focus the presentation on the investment section of the second quarter financial report. Our investment policy 1-12 requires verbal reports to the committee with the second and the fourth quarter reports. Uh, The team and I are available to answer questions on the full report uh, once we've concluded the presentation. Therefore, I will start on slide 15 and summarize several key elements of the investment policy. Investments must meet and conform to the California code. Investments are made in highly rated fixed income securities. The investment policy is reviewed annually and reaffirmed by the city council and the investment policy is audited twice a year for compliance with the policy. Next, I'll cover the investment program objectives. The objectives of the investment program are safety, liquidity, and then yield. Safety ensures that investments are made in prudent securities that repay the principal amount at maturity. Liquidity ensures investments are easily converted into cash to settle any cash flow needs, and yield is the return on investment we realize from holding such securities. Slide 17 summarizes the overall portfolio performance. As you can see, the size of the total portfolio is approximately $2.4 billion. Earned interest yield is 3.1%. The weighted average maturity Is 682 days and thus far in the first six months year-to-date interest income realized is 39 million dollars there have been no exceptions to the investment policy this quarter the pie chart on slide 18 shows the different types of investments held in the portfolio the largest holding is in highly-rated U.S. agency securities at 43%, followed by muni bonds at 15%, corporate notes at 13%, and supranationals and mortgage-backed securities at 9% each. Slide 19 shows the distribution of, por- of the portfolio by fund. As you can see, the investment portfolio is made up of more than just the general fund, large enterprise funds like the airport, wastewater, and energy department, and other funds make up the majority of the investment portfolio. Slide 20 focuses on the general fund and notes that the balance decreased by $24 million in the second quarter. Uh, This is a normal trend and will increase in the third quarter as property tax revenues are received in January and June of each year. Slide 21 demonstrates the general fund cash balance over time with sizable increases in the June, in the January and June months as I described on the previous slide. And slide 22 represents the city's portfolio yield in contrast with other indexes. And finally, Slide 23 lists our strategy for the foreseeable future. The strategy is to match expenditures with investments over the 24-month horizon, to extend a portion of the portfolio beyond two years, to maintain a diversified portfolio, and to maintain true to our objectives of safety, liquidity, and yield. So at that point, uh, that concludes my presentation. We're happy to take questions on the full report.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for the presentation. I don't see any here. Well, actually, we're going to go to the public comment, see if there's public comment, then we'll bring it back to the committee.
1: There is no public comment. Back to the committee.
0: Okay. And can you remind me, uh, I know item two is second quarter financial reports, item three is city of San Jose investment policy annual review. This is, seems to be a combo.
13: We have a few slides for item number three, so we will have a separate presentation oh, okay. and separate okay. vote on that okay. item.
0: Okay, cool. All right, I'll entertain a motion for item number two. I don't see any hands. Oh, actually, sorry, there are some hand raised. I'll go to Councilmember Batra.
6: Good uh, question. When we have bond measures like Measure T, and we have taken the money for that, is that sitting in the deposits here and while we are paying the interest on those um, for the bond measure and at the same time collecting some interest on these deposits?
13: That's correct. Any unspent funds from the bond measures will reside in our investment portfolio and they earn uh, they earn a return while they're unspent
6: okay and when you say internal management there's a certain amount of money you manage internally and then you have other people manage the money for us I'm sorry, the, can you repeat that question the amount of investment money which is available is it all managed by our internal investment committee or yes it's all
13: it, it, uh, managed internally within our investments business unit that Yu Sun manages.
6: Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, you want me to make a motion to accept? Uh, yeah.
0: can make a motion.
6: I move to accept the report. Oh, yeah.
0: Because
6: you. Sorry. Yeah. So. So.
0: So make the motion as you did, but if you can make sure it's cross reference oh, uh, to D. the March 5th, uh, 2024 city council meeting for full okay. adoption.
6: Cross reference to March 5th, Council. Okay. Wonderful. So that's item 2 and then well, we
0: will second. Have, thank you. So motion is second and uh, Vice Mayor Kameh.
7: Thank you. Um, and I, I, I know you went through it quickly so I don't know if I, did, I missed it a little bit. But I was curious in terms of item uh, uh, number three uh, on the recommendation regarding uh, write-off on collectible debts. I was just wondering, is, it, is this sort of in line with previous years? I was just wondering if it was up or down or, you know, if this was unusually high or is that the usual or, I was just curious.
13: I would um, say it varies from year, year, to, year to year when uh-huh. we bring it forward. We usually bring forward write-offs twice a year uh, to this committee as part of these reports. Uh, the, the amount that's with this write-off is not unusual. There's been times where it's been larger than that.
7: Yeah, so. but this is for six months only, the, for
13: this two is quarters. Based, this is based on a review of, account, of our delinquent accounts right. that have reached greater than three years, so the statute of limitations has expired on them for our ability to collect. Yeah. So th- this would this is the batch that our team has vetted, has reviewed, and has recommended for write-off.
7: Okay I was just curious if this was just for the first two quarters but you say you go back three years and it's the accumulation of whatever that is. Correct. Okay got it thank you.
4: Okay I think that's Oh, Lee please. Just uh, can I can make a point of order for all of the items uh, being cross-referenced if we can ask the committee to cross-reference these to March 12th and not the fifth Otherwise, you might be here very late
0: Okay, yeah, sorry, this is what's written here, but yeah, that makes sense So we'll do March 12th from now on Okay, so it's amended to March
6: 12th
0: Agreed. okay, All right. wonderful. So we'll go ahead and take a vote
1: And that passes unanimously.
0: Okay, thank you. And then uh, I suspect the same team's gonna sit there for the investment policy, right? Please.
12: Good afternoon. My name is Chen Yu Sang. I'm the Deputy Director of Finance, Managing Debt and Investment. I will do the presentation on the annual investment policy review and update. So the investment policy is accountable policy number one-12. Uh, the policy conforms with the California government code section 53601 <laughs> okay. and etc. Okay, okay. so, sure. Our objectives for the investment is safety, liquidity, and yield in that order. Uh, Our strategy, as we discussed before, is to maintain a diversified portfolio of conservative and highly rated fixed income security investments, and we try to match cash flow needs with maturing securities. And we typically pursue a buy and hold trading strategy so that we will um, will not have the risk of any kind of realized loss. Um, by policy requirement, uh, finance departments need to perform annual review of the policy. We typically do that in this time of the year. We submit, submit any proposed change to the Pacific committee for review and then obtain from the committee approval and then cross-reference to the city council to obtain full council pr- approval. We provide a red-line version of the policy update and... as in this, with the staff report, the policy, uh, red line version of the policy is uh, ex- included as Exhibit A. So, in this review, uh, in this policy update, we propose uh, to uh, one basically one revision. We want to consolidate the current uh, policy sections 917 and 9.18 into. One consolidated section called collateralized securities with a slight increase of a portfolio concentration limit to um, 20%. Uh, furthermore, we, want to, we would like to propose to divide this category into two subcategories uh, by issuing agencies. Namely, we want to have two subcategories. One is those collateralized, the security issued by governmental agencies, and those are issued by private en- entities. This segregation provides a better uh, management of the risk exposure, because typically, the private entities issues collateralized security buries some credit risk, while government governmental en- agencies typically do not have any named credit risk carried under them, so uh, we would like this uh, uh, lineup to uh, propose a better management of the um, risk for the entire portfolio. Why we want to do this, as we discussed, um, this divide this cat this set lineup will provide a better uh, risk management for the portfolio. We also recognize collateralized security as a group broadens the scope of authorized investment. And, Furthermore, this um, redefinition aligns with the city's investment, policy, investment objectives of safety liquidity and confirms to the state code. With that, we re- we ask the PISBIS Committee to approve the city of San Jose investment policy as amended and then refer the policy as well as appropriate resolution to this full city council for consideration in the March 12th meeting. Um, that okay. Thank
0: important. you so much for the presentation. We're going to go see if we have public comment before we bring it back to the committee.
1: There's no public comment. Back okay, to the committee.
0: So no public comment. Um, just a quick clarification before we entertain a motion. So is it the 12th or the 5th? 12. It's the
6: 5th. 12th.
0: Okay, so we're getting mixed information, so if we can clarify.
4: Mike, we would like everything referred to March 5th. I misspoke earlier okay. based right. off of my notes. So we would like everything referred to March 5th because the 12th is very heavy.
0: Okay. All right, so whoever makes the motion referred to cross reference Mo- to motion March 5th. To
11: approval cross reference to March 5th, please. Is
0: there a second?
6: No, you made the wrong March 12th, right?
11: No,
0: no, no. 5th. Yeah. yeah, we we just There's indicated he did. said
11: he made a mistake. So we are moving to March 5th. They're all
0: going to be the fifth move. Okay. All uh,
11: right.
0: I don't know what your copy says. What, yeah, what, is, what uh, is your uh, copy? agenda says March Yeah, mine says 5th. <laughs> yes. I have a yes, different... Sorry,
4: that's why I'm getting confused. We yeah. originally wanted everything on the actual agenda and recommendation language referred to March 12th. Because of other deferred items, March 12th now is... A A long meeting. So in the annotated agenda for the chair and I it says March 5th,
0: correct? So that's the And it's just
4: it's simply just for agenda management. So we don't lock you in here all day long like we've done to you today.
6: (laughs) So the desired thing is is March 5th. Correct.
0: That That is correct. And that's the motion on the floor. So okay. Okay. We'll go ahead and vote unless actually uh, (laughs) Councilmember Vice Mayor.
7: So we were wrong in the previous motion.
0: Yes. So I I was wrong
7: but we then we have to take it back so i'll address that right now so let's vote
0: on this and then correct so i caught that we'll go back (coughs) so so the vote here is to cross references to the march 5th council meeting there is a second a motion a second we'll go ahead and vote and so i'm not i don't know i don't know lead or city or city attorney's office if we need a motion to reopen the previous item to change the the referral date to the Fifth, instead of the twelfth.
4: Tara and I think we can just handle that one for rules. Okay. You can move forward.
0: All right, very good. I, I assume that we, when it comes to rules, we can put it wherever it needs to go. So, sure. Okay. All
4: right. My apologies. All right,
0: very good. No, no problem. Um, okay, we'll move on to item number four, which is non-management. Thank you so much for the presentation. Appreciate it. We're going to move forward to uh, number four: non-management employee appraisal audit report. Um, Joe and his team are here, and uh, yeah. And this is also going to be for the fifth.
14: So, good afternoon, Joroy City Auditor. I'm here with Abele Opie and Ricky Tran from my office for our non management performance appraisal audit. The administration should improve and clarify the appraisal processes. Um, also in the box, is Jennifer Chambry, the Director of Human Resources. S- staff development and performance feedback are encompassed in the City of San Jose's core values and non-management employees are a significant portion of the city's workforce with roughly 4,300 non-management staff as of June 30th, 2023. The city policy manual provides guidelines for annual and probationary appraisals for non-management employees. And while the human resources department or HR oversees the overall appraisal process, individual departments are accountable for conducting performance appraisals and forwarding them to HR for inclusion in the employee's personnel file. In 2018, the administration identified the performance measure percent of non-management employee performance appraisals completed on schedule as a key performance indicator for the strategic support city service area. Being on schedule has meant historically that an appraisal had been conducted within 30 days of the end of of an individual's appraisal period, and this 30 days was meant to account for the expected processing time for the appraisal itself, for example, scheduling, signature gathering, and other administrative tasks. As noted in the administration's response, they will be revisiting whether 30 days make sense moving forward. The administration set a target for 80% of non-management employee performance appraisals to be completed on schedule for fiscal year 22-23, and the objective of this audit was to review non-management performance appraisals for timeliness. We had two findings. The first finding is that nearly three-quarters of non-management employees had a current appraisal on file. However, timeliness can be improved. As of June 30th, 2023, including both annual and probationary appraisals, roughly 74% of non-managed employees either had a performance appraisal within the past year or one currently due. However, timeliness can be improved as 28% of staff received appraisals more than 30 days after the end of the appraisal period, 11% were more than 90 days past. In some cases, staff have gone extended periods without receiving an appraisal, and at the time of the audit, the administration had not been tracking appraisals for non-management part-time staff. Lastly, we noted that the that automati- automation can help simplify and streamline the appraisal process. To improve the non-management appraisal process, we recommend the administration establish a process to better notify and follow up with departments on outstanding appraisals, clarify expectations around providing and tracking appraisals for part-time staff, implement automated workflows to streamline the process, and provide additional training to supervisors who complete the appraisals. The second finding is that the administration should review its current performance measure around around non-management performance appraisals. The report from the City's Human Resource Management System, or HRMS, used for calculating performance measure did not calculate results accurately at the time of the audit. For example, appraisals were considered on schedule even if they were conducted more than 30 days past the end of the appraisal period. Based on how the HRMS report captured appraisal data, data, we noted more than 200 instances that completed appraisals would have been considered on schedule despite being conducted more than four months past the end of the individual's appraisal period. Also at the time of the audit, the the report query miscalculated the processing period allowed for an appraisal before an appraisal would have been considered overdue. This was corrected during the audit. So to more accurately report performance, we recommend the administration adjust its reporting tool to more accurately assess whether appraisals were on schedule and document the methodologies moving forward. The report has eight recommendations to improve the non-management performance appraisal process and reporting. We'd like to thank HR, the City Manager's Office, Office of Employee Relations, and the City Attorney's Office for their time and insight during the audit process. Um, I ask that you accept the report and cross-reference to the March 5th meeting of the City Council. Um, i happy to answer any questions, and I'll turn it over to Jennifer Shembry for the administration's response.
5: Good afternoon, Jennifer Shembri, Director of Human Resources and Employee Relations. Um, we appreciate the Auditor's Office work on this audit. And as our response mentioned, it is important that performance appraisals are completed on a regular and ongoing basis. Uh, while HR oversees the overall process, uh, it is each department director along with their staff that are accountable for ensuring completion of performance appraisals within required timeframes. Um, it is important as our response noted to recognize that during the COVID pandemic response many of our employees were pulled into COVID response efforts and were focused on providing important and critical services to our community um, and performance appraisals were just one of many regular duties that were not able to be completed as timely as we would have liked um, however starting in fiscal year 22-23 the city manager emphasized the importance of getting up to date on performance appraisal completion and this resulted in a high of 93 percent of appraisals tracked as completed. With the corrections uh, to the report the auditor's office identified in a different time period, we're now at approximately 74% completed. This continues to be a really important focus of the city manager and we will continue to work uh, to be as close as possible to an on time 100% completion rate. And thank you.
0: Okay, thank you so much. We'll see if there's any public comment.
5: There is no public comment, back to the committee.
0: Okay, all right, I don't see if I see any hands. Um, uh, Vice Mayor Kame.
7: Thank you, um, thank you so much for the report. Um, you know, I truly believe that it is important to to follow through on many of these um, uh, re- appraisal reports, um, and and it's sort of a, a learning for both the supervisor as well as the individual. So, I um, I don't know if there are uh, systems in place. Uh, like automatic notices or something that can be done where I know that sometimes when you're very busy, you know, things kind of fall through the cracks, but uh, you know, if uh, if we uh, think that it's important, then we should uh, increase the number of completed appraisals uh, done, and I think that um, if we don't uh, have those reminders, sometimes it you know, I just think of how, um, uh, how good the reminders are, are when we have to do the trainings, uh, especially the cybersecurity trainings. They keep coming. They keep coming. <laughs> and uh, sometimes it can get a little bit too much, but, but it gets the job done. And I'm just wondering, you know, for a period of time to see if, if that would be helpful. Uh, and I know that there, are, um, uh, te- there is technology already that can assist with that and, uh, and uh, does help people, you know, get it done. So I'm hoping that we could use, like, some tools to bring that, num- that percentage up a little bit higher.
5: Yes. Um just to respond really quickly. So we are automating the form. That will make the process a little bit easier, but we are also looking at some performance management systems. Um, As you've heard me talk about a lot, we just implemented NeoGov, which is the new hiring application system, and it has various modules you can add on to that, and one is a performance management system that I think would have a lot of what you're talking about there. Um, And there are also other things out there as well, so that's something that we are exploring further.
7: Yeah, I know that there are even um, systems where um, uh, there, there's, they even create suggested language that has been sort of cleared through legal uh, in terms of how you can write uh, in a way that is beneficial both to the individual person as well as the supervisor so that you create greater clarity in terms of what is expected. So I think that that is also out there and you know, they have some pretty good ones, so I think it's worth at least looking at it. Thank you.
0: Cool. Thank you, we have uh, Councilmember Batra.
6: The management or the appraisals, do they form a basis for something else in terms of either the uh, monetary things or promotions or any of those things?
5: So this is the non-management performance appraisal. Um, So it does not, in our management performance appraisal program, our MPP, which is for our management employees, um, that is the basis for uh, merit increases. Um, And this, uh, there are limited merit increases in the non-management, so it would be a basis for that. Um, Also withholding a step increase um, would also be uh, something we would look at the performance appraisal for. Um, But definitely it also is something that's taken into consideration for promotions or even internal transfers within the department. They should be looking at an employee's personnel file and looking at their performance appraisals.
6: So why would it not be a 100% requirement as that, Everybody be given an appraisal and be on the file. Whether thirty days or twenty-five days, doesn't need to be like I see a target to be seventy or eighty percent or whatever. Why wouldn't it be hundred percent?
14: I can start. So the the expectation in the policies is that yes, everyone gets an appraisal. The 80% is the on-schedule uh, performance appraisal, so 80% are on-schedule, meaning within a certain time frame from the end of the appraisal period. But you're, you're right. The expectation in the policy is that everyone has an appraisal. Um, I don't know if if you have anything to add or if that…
5: No, that, that yeah. is that the expectation, and as I mentioned, there's various factors that go into that. Um, including what we talked about, the COVID response, and so we've made it a focus after that to make sure we got back on track with it, but there are a lot of different factors that go into it. Uh, We would never be, I think, 100% completion on time as we have employees on leave and things like that, especially in our police and fire department. So, um, but as close as possible is our goal. No,
6: no, I think I understand that they won't be done in 100% in timeframe, but 100% of them should be get done in whatever time frame beyond 30 days or 45 days, because uh, like in the private sector, there was no exception to it. Everybody had to get their review and they had to be in. And, and I think if you have the same policy, you made exception during pandemic, lots of things were made exceptions. So time to bring it back. Okay,
14: Thank you. If I could, if I could add, so there's a couple recommendations in the report kind of get, to address some of what you're describing. So one of the things we were seeing is uh, some, some folks potentially could have gone an extended period of time because they shifted positions within the organization, in which case their appraisal period might, might shift. There might be some confusion of who's supposed to provide the appraisal because if it's mid-year, does it, it the former supervisor, the current supervisor, who's providing that? So we had some recommendations about clarifying those expectations. We did talk with departments about some of the pain points they had, uh, and so we did have recommendations in terms of clarifying some of these, uh, what is the proper, you know, processing period, 36 days, whatever. Also some additional training because super, some supervisors weren't necessarily comfortable giving appraisals uh, and, and were seeking additional guidance. So we a couple of recommendations, trying to clarify those expectations when there's transfers, uh, clarify expectations around processing periods. Additional trainings and then obviously the the automated workflow as well that Councilmember Kamaya was talking about. So there's three or four recommendations trying to get at kind of that broad process to make sure people don't fall through the cracks. Thank
6: you.
0: Thank you, you, sir. We'll move on to uh, Councilmember Dwan.
11: Thank you, Chair. Thank you, staff, for putting together the (coughs) audit. Have we tried, for example, a a competition between different departments who, who can come up with? You know, a higher percentage and, and that particular department could get a, I don't know, some type of prize or, or pizza for that matter, you know, to, to, to create, the, you know, the more percentages of uh, appraisal to come in.
5: Lee, you want to give a pizza party for the department? Uh, we have not. Um, that is something that we can talk about. But we have shared and spoken with all of senior staff at the same time and shared the information with all of the senior staff at the same time, so they can see where other departments are compared to where they are. They are um, you know, I think we expect this to be a normal part of their duties and and an expectation of a supervisor. So I'm not sure about the prize part, but Yeah, (laughs) I think
4: we've we've probably gone more the shaming route um, (laughs) than the celebration route. Um, I do think though it is is really important um, that this become just part of our SOPs and departments um, as part of us retaining our workforce. Uh, Our employees work very hard and on very complicated things and without, regular feedback you know we're at risk of losing those individuals so that's something that jennifer and i have tried very hard with senior staff and we haven't tried the competition route but jennifer's had a lot of great ideas too just some of these departments that have so many employees and different start dates just maybe moving all of those into the same month so it's just more of a regular thing like oh it's april we're going to work through these together um so so i think we're trying to just improve the process overall um because it's, it's very important for our employees that they get this feedback.
11: I totally agree with you because
4: <clears throat> if they don't know where they
11: stand and, and what their performance, how can they improve, right? And um, yeah, I, I believe in, in, in trying to be uh, positive. We don't want to go into consequences, but shaming is not too bad either. Thank you.
0: Okay, so I, I still don't think we have a motion so someone can make a motion I'll,
11: I'll, I'll, I'll motion to accept the, <laughs> okay. the report with uh, cross preference to March 5th
0: second okay there's a motion in the second uh, we'll go ahead and take a vote it passes unanimously okay thank you appreciate it Okay, we're going to move on to our last item of the day. We're moving at lightning lightning speed here. Uh, It's item five, cannabis business regulations and annual operating fee comparison.
15: Good afternoon, Chairperson, committee members, and members of the public. My name is Wendy Salazi, and I'm the Division Manager in the Police Department's Division of Cannabis Regulation. With me today is Sergeant David Woolsey and Deputy Chief Shab. Based on this committee's direction on October 19th, the staff is providing an update on the following topics of the possibility of aligning San Jose's regulations with state regulations and comparing San Jose's annual fees for cannabis operations with other jurisdictions. Per this, San Jose's regulations began in 2014 and the state uh, regulations began in 2018. And California's program was designed to allow local regulation and taxation. It empowers municipalities to regulate at the local level If regulations conflict, the strictest regulation prevails. It enables cities and counties to regulate issues important to each community. We felt it was important to compare various aspects of age comparisons so City Council and the public knows what the differences are. While we've heard feedback the businesses support the age requirements to remain unchanged, there are some businesses that have let us know they continue to lose business opportunities when they need to turn away 18 to 20 year old medical patients with valid physician recommendations that other cities accept. Both San Jose's and the state's regulations require age verification prior to purchase. However, they they differ in how that's accomplished. San Jose requires the use of an electronic age verification device, which scans the ID and displays the person's age. The state's regulations require inspecting a valid form of identification which leaves it up to the person inspecting the ID to know the age 21 by date and do the math to determine if the presenter of the ID is under 21 years old. Consistent with previous committee direction, we are not recommending changing our age requirement. As you can see on the chart, uh, where we differ from the state is we background owners between 10 and 20% ownership interest, all employees and drivers. We verify the driver has a valid driver license and insurance and that the owner of the delivery vehicle knows the vehicle will be used for cannabis delivery. Both San Jose's regulations and the state's regulations require persons working at cannabis businesses to wear a specific identification badge. However, they differ in purpose. The badge issued by our division is issued after an individual has been fingerprinted as part of the criminal background investigation. By wearing the badge, it allows for quick and easy identification of those persons who have initiated the background process versus those who have not. The state required badge does not perform that function. An additional benefit of the current identification badge issuance process is it affords the Division the opportunity to ascertain accurate employee counts to ensure compliance with labor peace agreement requirements. People working in these businesses have behind-the-scenes access to cannabis, money, and sensitive business information such as building layouts and security measures. These background checks promote a safer work environment in a sensitive industry. In the area of property and product security, there are a few key differences between San Jose's regulations and the state's. San Jose requires each business to install and maintain an Underwriter Laboratories-listed burglar alarm system. It's an alarm system with a mercantile certificate, a standard similar to jewelry stores. A UL burglar alarm system uses extensive sensors to detect any intrusion and trigger the alarm. San Jose's regulations also prescribe a specific response by the business. The state's regulations also require an alarm monitored by an alarm company or agent, but do not specify the standards of the alarm system or the timeliness and nature of the response to an alarm activation. Both sets of regulations require cannabis and cannabis products to be stored indoors, however San San Jose additionally requires they are stored in a safe vault or other secure storage inside the premises. This additional requirement is meant to make it more difficult to obtain and divert cannabis and cannabis products in the event of burglary. Video camera systems are required by both San Jose and the state. However, video storage is another area in which San Jose's regulations differ from the state's. San Jose requires video be stored and made available to regulators or law enforcement for 30 days while the state requires video be retained and made available for 90 days. Since the state's requirements are more restrictive, all San Jose businesses must follow the state's storage requirement of 90 days. Another difference in San Jose's security requirements versus the state's is the area of delivery vehicles. San Jose requires delivery vehicles employ a dual-facing video camera system, and while alarm and security storage regulations cannot prevent persons from breaking into a business, they can make it difficult and slow burglars down. Staff reviewed the annual, <coughs> excuse me. Staff reviewed the annual operating fee for cannabis business activities for notable neighboring city, California cities, uh, Mountain View, Oakland, Sacramento, and San Francisco. The operating fees vary between being charged per permit type, cannabis activity, or business. When the fee is based on permit type or activity, it is important to note one business may hold multiple permits or conduct multiple activities, and the total fee each business pays is based on the number of permits or activities. San Jose's annual operating fee is intended to recover 100% of the costs incurred by the city to pay for the multi-department staff for their professional responsibilities and other costs needed to sustain the full scope of the City Council's policy direction for the program. The staffing level is based on regulatory and enforcement operations related to the 16 registered cannabis businesses. The costs for the program are paid by the registered business in their annual operating fee and other fees for service. Since the cannabis regulatory program was moved to the police department, the annual operating fee regulatory staffing levels have decreased from 11.33 to 7.25. And in the next few slides, this is kind of a repeat of what we brought, um, I think, back in October or November to full council to let um, the public know that there are resources available. So um, how to contact the police department for illegal sales of cannabis, mushrooms, fentanyl, and other illegal substances, and how to file complaints about registered cannabis businesses, and the city's. Code Enforcement Division responds to multiple code violations on private property, such as zoning, building, and blight violations. They address unregistered cannabis businesses, cannabis cultivated for personal use, or cannabis odors. And then um, the resources for the state of California, the Department of Cannabis Control investigates the complaints of unlicensed or illegal cannabis activity. And then the Office of Youth Tobacco Enforcement. Enforcement Investigates Flavored Tobacco and Sales to minors. Uh, The police department and code enforcement are scheduled to return to this committee in April to review and discuss the possibility of expanding the police department's division of cannabis regulations responsibilities to include regulating licensed tobacco retailers uh, on the April 18th uh, committee meeting. Our recommendation today is to accept the report on how San Jose's regulations compare to the state's regulations and how San Jose's uh, annual operating fee compares to other jurisdictions. And with that, we're available for questions.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to the committee, but first we'll go to public comment.
1: We have three speaker cards submitted. Can Sean, Callie Ray, Brando Duong, and Sharmi Shah please make your way down to the podium? You guys can line up along the steps. You guys will each have two, two minutes to speak. Thank you.
9: Good afternoon, Chair and members of the committee. Thank you very much for the time this afternoon. Uh, I want to thank uh, you all again for taking the time to delve into this issue. Uh, we're frankly disappointed that four months have gone by since October 19th. This is the report that was drafted in four months. We'd think that there would be something substantially more comprehensive, substantially more introspective, and substantially more research done with aligning to the state. And by aligning to the state, I think we all know what that is for code. is to find the duplications that are happening at the state and here, and find ways to eliminate them or make them more efficient. The more money you save at the city goes back into the general fund. The, The goal of the city is not to spend all the money that you possibly bring in through the front door. So it's unfortunate. Uh, On top of that, the division's functionally obsolete. It made sense in 2015. It doesn't make sense in 2024. It needs to change. The the slides that you just saw regarding uh, the age, none of the cannabis dispensaries want to reduce the age from 21. We don't know what the point of all of these slides were. Councilmember Chair Jimenez's memo underlined the very fact that you don't want to reduce the age from 21. So rather than coming back with a thoughtful report that actually tries to find a a compromise or some sort of middle ground between the the dispensaries, the legal dispensaries here, the illegal market and how to address it, and what the council should move forward, we basically got a sales pitch about how great they are and why they should be justified to continue to do what they're doing when they're functionally obsolete. It's unfortunate. It's substantially unfortunate. Two dispensaries in San Jose have closed how many more closures have to take place before the Division of Cannabis Regulation is actually gonna understand that they need to change. They need to keep cannabis out of schools, away from children, and illegal activity out of our community. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Next
16: speaker. Good afternoon, my name is Sharmie Shaw. I represent half the cannabis businesses in San Jose. Um, I'm here because um, while I appreciate the efforts of the department to date. I do uh, agree and reiterate what Mr. Kali Rai said, which is that this system is outdated. Um, I'd also like to point out several misstatements, uh, which were unfortunately made in the staff report. I represent the only registered business in the city of Mountain View. Their licensing fee is not $139,000, it's $1,942. Uh, the city of mountain view banned storefront retail businesses back in may of 2019 so it's very disingenuous to try to justify their hundred and the city of san jose's $139,000 annual fee by falsely pointing to a mountain view fee being comparable to the city of san jose when that doesn't even exist in the city of mountain view second Uh, The the staff report stated that they had a decrease in the number of full-time employees from about 11 employees to seven employees. What they don't don't point out is they didn't decrease their fees in that period of time. So that means those seven employees had an increase in their compensation of 46% over the last eight years. Again, these businesses are suffering. They cannot continue to afford this annual fee. With the now closure of two businesses in the city of San Jose, because they cannot function in this heavily regulated environment and pay these exorbitant fees, if you leave this status quo, these existing 14 businesses will have to pay $160,000 per year, just because the number of, the, the budget number gets divided by 14 instead of 16. Thank you.
1: Thank you, next speaker.
17: Uh, my name is brando i'm a local dispensary owner i just wanted to uh tell you guys a little bit about what's going on with me um i believe that the annual fee is too high every year we pay it um, but the thing is the regulators don't do anything to combat the illicit activity in san jose so i'm getting squeezed on both sides while they demand more and more money from me every year the illegal operations are encroaching on my business and you know depleting my traffic it's just It's a really difficult situation for me. I don't think going forward, I'm gonna be able to afford to stay in business anymore. I'm actually surprised that I'm still able to be in business. You know, Um, these illegal operations just keep thriving and you know, cannabis in the legal space is not thriving. You know, my traffic is dwindling by the day, by the month. And you know, I I hear them trying to raise the fee to 160,000 because the number of dispensaries has fallen down to 14 from 16 and I just don't see how i'm going to survive past this year and you know I, I hope that you guys can see that and you know help me out thank you
1: thank you and back to com- the committee
0: okay i think we have one council member that has a question uh council member torres
3: <clears throat> yes <clears throat> i have a couple of questions not a question <laughs> it's good to spend all day with you guys today by the way uh, um I'm going to, I have a lot, but I'm going to, I'm just going to probably ask the most important ones. Um, One of them is, how many ID badges um, does the DCR issue uh, each each
15: year? I think last year it was around 1,200.
3: Okay, great. And then the, the next question is for actually Um, our assistant chief. So um, if you can make your way down awkwardly, please. In in 2023, chief, how many times? Oh, let me word this right. (laughs) Yeah, this is right. Sorry. 2023, how many times uh, has an alarm been triggered at a business in, in in San Jose? And what was the average response time to that? To that response and i asked it because i've had a few uh cannabis stores in my district who said that they called the police and that they never showed up so that's why i'm asking
18: so first of all i, I don't have the data are you asking for alarm response times generally to all alarms or to cannabis dispensary alarms i'm sorry yes
3: just to the to, to ca- cannabis dispensaries. Yeah, yes I, sorry
18: I, i'm sorry i don't have that data right this moment i, I can certainly get that
3: okay cool yeah because that's Obviously, you know, worrisome that our our cannabis dispensaries, right? They obviously, I'm I'm assuming, I don't I don't do it, (laughs) but I'm supportive. I don't do it, but I'm I'm supportive that they carry a lot of cash, and obviously the merchandise is 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 extremely expensive. And not only that, right? We are also thinking of the employees who work uh, for the dispensaries, right? They need to feel safe. Uh, And again, I've I've said it, I've said it. You know, it's, you're not to blame, Chief. But I've said it time and time again, right? We, we this industry, it, you know, bankrolls uh, a lot of our general fund, and so that's why it's really imperative that that we make sure that uh, you know they're not being, uh, you know, overtaxed, or um, I should say, or the black market is com- making a comeback where they're where they're eventually closing. Right? We've already had two dispensaries closed, so. But that was my question to you, and I don't, I don't have other questions to SJPD. But I have a couple more questions to um, the the folks on the hot seat over here. Um, and I know I know that we've discussed uh, smoke and vape shops not only on this committee but uh, on NSE. Uh, and since we last met, or since you last been here, uh, since October has the, DNC, the DCR investigated the number of. Has the DCR investigated a number of vape or smoke shops?
15: Again, as I highlighted, that we regulate the registered businesses. So um, code enforcement is responsible for responding to um, complaints about illegal operations. And I I don't have the data for them and-
4: Yeah, I'm happy to jump in. I don't have data either. Part of Councilmember member memo that was passed last year, was for us to look at tobacco uh, retailers and the status, so that and, and possible cannabis regulations around that. So that is agendized for April. So I know code and the police department are working on that. I will say, as we we talked about last time, the regulatory fee for cannabis, you know, with state law allows us to regulate those cannabis businesses. The possible legal activity that goes on within um, smoke shops or tobacco shops, which I think we have roughly 600 across the city, that would be criminal in nature and prioritized as part of the department's workload along with code and the state. Um, So those are two separate functions.
3: All right. And and maybe this is a a more direct question to you, Lee. Uh, So my... Before I left the city and came back as a, as a, as a council member, I was part of the, a small little task force to, to deal with um, massage parlors, because especially, there, there are a lot of them in District 5, right? And you know, rest in peace, uh, Cap, uh, Captain uh, Schrieffer, he was the one that led it. Um, but um, do, we, do you need direction from us to, to tackle these, these vape and smoke shops that are doing a lot of the, the, the black market
4: Like um, forming
3: like making a motion for a task force or submitting a memo at rules.
4: No, but, so I mean I, th- I think we have direction to come back to you and give you a status update of, of the 600 something tobacco retailers in the city. What we are doing, what that framework is, how code looks at that. Um, obviously, there if there is illegal activity and there are statewide task force that PD is a part of that we would probably not include in that type of report. Um, However, I can say from some of the briefings, um, just anecdotal information, and it was, it was on NPR the other day, um, that a lot of the major downtowns th- and, and cities throughout the state of California, because of the decriminalization of, or way lesser uh, penalties around uh, drugs, that there's a lot of connotations that a lot of the tobacco companies are in this, and we, not, we don't necessarily have that proof yet. Um, uh, obviously, there are bad actors out there everywhere, um, but I wouldn't say we have a nexus to it is fundamentally changing the market yet. That's part of the work we're trying to do for April for you.
3: Okay, and 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 the other one is and the other one might be you all. Um, I know that Purple Lotus is finally opening up a storefront here in downtown San Jose, and I'm glad that they are, especially since we have 60 plus vacant storefronts in our in our city, and I'm glad that our city made it easier for uh uh cannabis storefronts um the our cannabis our cannabis storefronts uh they fall under our city and state regulations as as our dispensaries do they have the same the same regulations from the city and the state Mm -hmm. they're just a storefront
15: there's yeah they're they're just a retail a standalone retail storefront where where they are now they might do Cultivation, retail storefront, delivery, manufacturing, distribution, but and, they,
3: and they can do that at a real retail, retail shop.
15: No, it's zoned for commercial retail, so that's okay. What you so have to j- they it. can only sell it. Mm-hmm.
3: All right, cool, great. That was that. That's all the questions that I had, Mr. Chair.
0: Thank you. We have uh, Councilmember Duan.
3: Thank you, staff,
11: for the report. <clears throat> I just got a few questions here. <clears throat> Why does the badge need to be reissued every year? and specifically if the city employees are not required to obtain a new badge each year, especially when you, um, what you call the um, the scan, the, the live scan that's only required once, right? Or, or not done every year by PD. So why would we require the cannabis to do it every year?
15: So we require when they begin um, working at the business, we require uh, the background check, which includes the live scan. And then on an annual basis, they're required to renew. So we just recently actually rolled it out, I think, uh, maybe it was yesterday. We rolled out a new process for the the badge renewals because we we heard the feedback um, back, uh, I think it was in October and November, and then uh, we changed our process to where it makes it you know, less of a burden on the business to get those renewed. We like to make sure that we know who's still working at the business. Um, But once we issue you an identification badge, you'll just keep that one uh, until you uh, until the business, you sever your relationship with the business, then we'll collect it at that time. But we just changed that because we we heard the feedback. So
11: thank you. Um, Sounds a regulation on on the possession, distribution and cultivation of cannabis are stricter than um, of the state of California. How are San Jose businesses violation compared to other m- municipality in California? And how often those, those, uh, th- of these occurs um, and what is the gravity of these violations?
15: i mean i don't i don't know how we compare like our violations to our code versus other cities um i I do know that we don't issue very many citations because our goal is to work with the business and and get them to comply without having to have that extra fine so when there are violations and there have been uh, we work with them to ensure compliance so um, again we don't again from a statistical standpoint i think when we came to this committee in october we talked about how there were only five uh, Mm -hmm. fine uh, citations or five citations that um, resulted in fines uh, for for this uh, the registered businesses and um, illegal operations but again there are multiple um, violations that again we work with them and the only time that they'll that they'll see a fine is if it's continuously doing the same thing over and over.
11: Has staff consider lowering the fees um, in order for some of these uh, dispensary um, to survive with the existing strain of the, the black market?
15: I'm sorry, I missed the first part of your question.
11: Has, has you guys considered lowering the fees um, especially at the curtain rate of our dispensary um, you know all the strain that they're, they're they're dealing with the black market
15: yeah I mean I think we were responsive with the, the lowering of the fines back in November council voted on that and approved those were um, a, a large uh, or a pretty big decrease in those uh, the annual operating fee, we'll review it during our budget cycle this year and see if there's any uh, reductions that can be made or any other um, staffing efficiencies that we can make and we'll put it through um, during the budget process. Um, you know, that's something that we work through uh, outside of, of this process. We'll, we'll be doing that. I think we, I mean, we do that, I think, around every March anyways.
11: And then I have another question for you <clears throat> on the storefront video surveillance. The state required 90 days. Why, why is San Jose only required 30 days? So we're not in alignment, right, with the state requirements? In the end, we have to meet the state requirements, right, because it's a higher standard. Why don't we change that?
8: Good afternoon. This is uh, Sergeant Wolsey. I'll, I'll take that question. So originally in uh, 2014, when the program was being, um, you know, put together, we had a 90-day requirement at the city. We heard feedback from the businesses that storage of video for 90 days on some of the larger businesses that have maybe hundred cameras would be a really high expense for the hardware needed to um, store that much video. So uh, we reevaluated and passed a 30-day requirement because our thought was realistically, if something happens at the business, they're required to tell us more or less right away. We have time within 30 days to retrieve the video um, if we're doing you know, audits or monitoring or reviewing the, the business on a timely fashion, we shouldn't need more than 30 days worth of video, and that's why we landed at 30 days. When the state came up with their regs, they landed at 90 days. I don't know why. We don't work for the state, but that's why there's a discrepancy. Thank,
11: Thank you. you. And in 2023, how many times did the DCR have to, uh, to reject an employee um, identification? badge due to criminal background, you know?
8: Sorry, I'll take that one too. Um, I don't know the number offhand. I do know that um, fairly recently in the last couple of years, uh, as people are, we learned that people are disqualified based on a criminal conviction, um, we've started to reach out to them and work with them on record clearance. If the record gets cleared by the court or expunged is another common term, Um, then the conviction doesn't get used against them for employment. And most people are going and getting their convictions expunged um, and and then remain allowed to work in the business. So I don't don't have the exact number of disqualifications, but most of them get it expunged and continue working.
11: And can you tell me, you went from 11 employees down to 7.7 employees. Now, there's a cost saving there, right? If you have less employees, then there would be less cost. Where the that rest of the funding goes to? Right here on, on um, page number eight, the annual fees and and total full-time employees from eleven um, in sixteen seventeen to seven in twenty three twenty four.
15: I mean salaries don't remain the same. So uh, when you look at what the total cost for the um, FTE count, you know, last year it's different. Even with the same people on the team, it's different this year. So it's based on, um, you know, what their current salaries are.
11: And so what are the function of these seven employees?
15: Uh, well, with, I mean, we have de- uh, employees from finance, uh, the police department, obviously, the city manager's office, the attorney's office, and planning building code enforcement. So, I mean, we do policy coordination. There's um, law, uh, the um, compliance with our code, code enforcement for zoning compliance. There's um, financial compliance review, legal advice. Those are just kind of in general. Okay.
11: So so how many employees are in the code Enforcement, in order to, you know, stamp down on the, the illegal
15: of oh, sales. Yeah, I can't speak on behalf of code because again, this the the FTE count is based on for the regulatory okay. program. So there's half of a code enforce or code enforcement, any combination of various positions, but there's uh, half an FTE from code enforcement that's included in the annual operating fee.
11: I think it's important that, that, you know, a lot of us may not condone, um, the cannabis, but if it's illegal businesses, um, then we need to protect them from those illegal businesses, if you will. All right. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, council member. we we'll go to council member, Badra.
6: <coughs> after your, the detailed report, I I saw at the overview level, three different issues being brought up. One, I think, I'm not into the micromanagement of your department, what each person does when you issue the badge, when you don't. But I think what came across to me is that is it time for self-evaluation of your group? In terms of the reasons why you were set up and Are we still needing the same level of? Activity or do we need to change that? Whether you issue a badge every six months or two years. That's Not what I'm here for So I leave that to the experts. Okay, but I do want to have a self-evaluation in terms of what you're doing, does not need doing? And if anything, our fee structures and all that, how do we make it sure that they are supportive of our business? And the other item which is not seem to be in your scope but it has an impact on this activity is that illegal uh, cannabis business because that seems to affect what profits these people can make, what they can afford to pay. And so how do we, okay, I, I see my response coming back. <laughs>
18: so council member i I think you're raising two questions one is is there duplication between what we're doing at this level and what is being done by the state and i'm not prepared to answer that question exactly but i would i would just caution that we would want to probably know what any any other regulatory bodies capabilities are before we abandon our efforts at regulation that would be the first thing and then as far as there's this um, contention that there's a lot of illegal uh marijuana sales occurring in the, in the smoke shops, and while that may be the case, if that's occurring, as be, has been mentioned earlier, that's a criminal violation. That's not just an administrative regulatory matter, and we can investigate that like any other. I mean, we recently, uh, our metro unit uh, conducted an investigation at a donut shop that was selling cocaine and methamphetamine. so we're not opposed to <laughs> investigating uh, illegal drug sales at a, at a business. So, but but we need something more actionable than just a you know a general contention that, that this is occurring.
6: Uh, in terms of you're saying the reporting or the information or the ordinance, or
18: in other words, if someone has specific information about a specific business conducting illegal activity, that's something we can investigate. But but presently, we're not staffed to conduct regulatory. Um, inspections and whatnot of all of the smoke shops in the city of San Jose. It's just a a huge workload that we don't have the staffing presently to do.
6: Okay, Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what we are hearing is that that is probably as big an issue as the other items which are over fees and over charges and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) So I think what we would like is suggestion from your side that what kind of information proactively can be collected. And if you're those license plate readers and things like those, or the surveillance cameras which are now in place, if any of those are gonna help us out, because, uh, or how do we assist you in getting that? Because it looks like it's a 2 pronged problem at least. And we want to address each one of the prongs to the best of our ability to do it. Okay.
18: Yes, Councilmember. Any specific information about a specific location and illegal activity is what we would need to to investigate presently because it would okay. be a criminal violation like any other.
6: Okay. All Thank right. You. Thank you. Okay. And can we ask for the, uh, not, uh, the self-evaluation of the group in terms of any modifications you need to do to your activities, staffing, or whatever since it's a budget time, it's a good time to review that. It's a question under the implication if they're willing to accept that and come back to it.
15: Oh, yeah. Sorry. I thought I had mentioned that earlier that we can we can look at that through the fees and charges process this year.
6: Okay. Uh, do we need that as a part of the motion or anything, or they just yeah, got so it? it? Okay, all right, okay. Thank you then, let's uh, move.
0: Okay, thank you, you uh, Council Batra. Uh,
6: do we need a motion?
0: Uh, you can make a motion if you like. I know we have one more speaker, but okay. it's up to you. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll call on uh, Vice Mayor Sure. Back,
7: thank you so much. <clears throat> you know, I um, uh, when I first, became a council member, one of the things, you know, you do all the the uh, meeting with different people and, and educating yourself on these different uh, areas and programs and such. And one of the things that I do recall is that the program um, was one of the first, very innovative and all of that. And, you know, as we're going into budget right now, you know, it has been some time, there's been a lot of lessons learned. I wonder if, um, kind of like to, uh, Council Member Batra's uh, suggestion on, on self-evaluation, I'm just wondering if there is a, a need to um, sort of step back and and have some assistance, maybe there's a, Uh, An opportunity to um, to uh, and and of course it's going to cost money so my fellow council members need to realize that if we do this we might not be able to do that Um, and and it might be uh, uh, you know worthwhile to do an assessment and uh, put resources towards that if the council feels that it's an important thing to take a look at in terms of you know, processes in terms of, you know, what else has been done? You know, I think that since uh, cannabis was uh, legalized, um, a lot has changed, right? And so I'm just wondering if the team is a small team, but, you know, over the years have learned quite a bit and uh, maybe, I don't know if there's a, Uh, statewide um, either association group or whatever where there's exchange of information, Uh, but it would seem to me very uh, helpful if uh, we can take a look at that, see what works, what doesn't work, and be able to come back with looking at existing conditions and what you'd like to do or what you'd like to recommend in terms of any, any changes if needed, right? So, uh, but I do recognize that it's going to cost money to have someone help you look at that. It isn't just with a small team, but if it's something that the council is willing to put money behind, the budget process would be the place to do it.
0: I'll just say something really quick. Thank you very, very much, Vice Mayor. I think you're right. If, if there, if there's direction from the council for us to go back and look at what we're doing, we can certainly do that with the, with the, that direction. What I think is important to also understand is
13: while the laws made the possession of marijuana legal, there are still laws that make the sale of marijuana illegal. And so the requirement to continue to monitor and regulate that part of it, the sale of, not just the possession
0: of, is an important distinct, distinction to remember.
7: And I think that in this whole process, that is extremely helpful, because then we can address what is and what is not. Because I think, I think sometimes things get kind of like a little bit muddy And then, you know, the outcomes are different. I also think that there's a uh, disadvantage when there are those out there who are selling and they're not supposed to be selling, right? I mean, I understand that you have limited resources, but at the same time, you know, um, we have to recognize that these other things are happening, especially, you know, who knows online and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, if there's a need to address that, maybe just trying to figure out, okay, what's the problem we're trying to solve? And how do we address it? And I think that that would be part of the conversation as opposed to saying, oh, this is us and that's over there. And this is, sometimes it kind of like comes together.
6: Chairman, do we make the motion? Yeah, Uh, you can,
7: I I just wanted
0: to ask a few questions. so, so and, then, and then we can make a mo- and I actually have some thoughts about the motion, but um, although I won't make it, but I'll, I'll mention. <laughs> but, but the first qu- question I had is, and I think uh, it was touched on very briefly by uh, Sergeant Woolsey, and that is, I was wondering, like, what type of, so when, when folks are disqualified from getting a badge or can't get a badge because whatever criminal history they have, I know you mentioned expungements and things of that nature, folks that get things expunged, but what would prohibit someone from getting a badge? What type of sort of offense would, would say, okay, you can't get a badge, hence you can't work at the dispensary? And, and there may be a long list, and if there is, it's just, I'm just curious the type of stuff.
8: Sure, I'll hit on the general themes. It's uh, crimes of violence, force, fraud, fear, deception, use of a firearm, theft, embezzlement, for possession, sale, or use of drugs other than cannabis.
0: Other than cannabis? Broadly, yeah. Okay. And this is, this is um, so if they're actually applying for the badge, it's assumed that whether they have those, they, they've sort of had those type of convictions that it's likely that if they're applying, they've already served the prison sentence or whatever, and, and they're now in this space, or, right? Yeah.
8: Yeah, um, and let me add, those are convictions within the last 10 years. Okay. So there's another category of moral turpitude, which would be something that's really serious. that can We can look at that whenever, not just within the 10 years. Uh, but within those 10 years, if they have one of those convictions, or if they're on probation or parole for one of those types of convictions, then they would be precluded from working at the business. Uh, typically, if they're on probation or parole, it's well within 10 years. Right. Okay. So, all right.
0: And, and, and is that... Is that per state law or is just something that we embedded in the policy when we originally created this? That's sort of in our ordinance. It's in our, okay, okay. So that was decided obviously sometime back and we, we determined these are the crimes that we wanna make sure that, correct. Okay, all right, okay, it makes sense. Um, the other question I had was related to um, the, uh, I think uh, Wendy, you had mentioned that we, we make sure as a city that the folks driving vehicles uh, that are employed by the dispensaries are licensed, like literally have a driver's license. Uh, h- how did that come about? Because I, I know there's obviously a lot of businesses around the city that de- do deliveries, and we don't we don't regulate any of that. And I, I just wonder sometimes if that's very much in the weeds, is it really? Because every business would you would want it. You have to have people insured when you're they're driving vehicles and such. And, and so I'd be curious how that came about, and, 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 and if you think that's a change, for example, that could be made. And why it's necessary I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around
15: I mean it's a council it was a council policy decision when we added delivery as an option uh, you know a few years back Uh, again what they're carrying in their vehicle isn't you know your your dinner tonight right it it is cannabis it is a drug in their in their vehicle so I mean, we feel it is important to know that they're actually a licensed driver and that they have insurance and that 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 the people uh, that if they're not the registered owner of the vehicle, that 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 the registered owner is aware that is, that they're delivering cannabis. So um again, it's it's a it's a council policy decision. so if if council doesn't want to have that in place, uh, then you can make a recommendation right, right. to
12: change it. Yeah,
0: and I, I realize these are circumstances, it seems to me, in which we've we've created the box that we're in effectively, right? I mean, not we, but obviously past councils, and so I, I appreciate that. The, the other question I had was around the comparison cities as it relates to the fee. I, you heard mention of Mountain View as an example. I don't know if you had any comments about what was said. Uh, and, and before you answer, how did you choose which cities to compare? Because I know there's other cities that have, say, Redwood City or Hayward or Union City, and I was curious how you chose those.
15: Yeah, I mean, it's the cities that we used last time. Um, Redwood City is another one that we could have included in there. Um, Again, it was just a sample to say, I mean, we are acknowledging our annual operating fee is relatively high, Um, but in Mountain View, that annual operating fee does exist. It's in their adopted fees and charges program. So when I was comparing our city to other cities and, and reviewing their fees and charges schedule as we have. We have a fee schedule that includes an annual operating fee. We have various application receipts fees and again, across the city, all sorts of things. Uh, but then for the Canvas program in Mountain View, there is an annual operating fee. So again, it's hard to compare, uh, again, you're not always comparing apples to apples, right? Because some of the other cities do it based on permit or activity. Um, but they do in fact have a fee that's related to that whether or not anyone's paying it I, I don't know that yeah. um, and but there is a delivery fee that I believe is the amount that the, that the um, had mentioned so um, okay. but yeah it, it does exist
0: would you and, and I think this my last question is I, I think it might have been something that was mentioned in a past memo or presentation because it so, it sounds vaguely just familiar in my mind and that is do all cities operate a cost uh, sort of cost neutral or cost recovery sort of model as it relates to the, the you know the policing if you will of this industry or no, or?
15: no i mean i think it it's depends on your city how you want to do it our yeah. city modeled it after 100 percent cost recovery um, i don't believe all cities are even um, it, the cities in the chart i don't believe all of them have 100 percent cost recovery uh, they that's just what their city chose to do again um, this industry does pay a 10% tax. I mean, it varies depending on what they're doing, but for the most part for retail, and it is a $15 million plus uh, revenue stream for the general fund. So our city could choose to uh, adopt a different model rather than just reducing the staffing level that's regulating, uh, they could choose to pull it and not have it 100% cost recovery.
0: Okay, all right. Again, it goes back to us creating the rules and the decisions that were made a while ago and that's sort of what carries the day at the present time okay all right okay um, so, so I'm not gonna make a motion I don't think it's customary for the chair to make a motion but I, I will just say that obviously I think every <laughs> I feel like we've been in this chamber all day but uh, and we have but uh, every member of the committee has commented and, and I, I forget what brown act I'm in as it relates to cannabis and I know there's other <laughs> members that are not on this on this uh, committee that have expressed interest in the topic and so I would say anyone that makes the motion, if you can maybe cross-reference this to a future council meeting, I think that would be helpful. So that way the whole council can right. chime in. Obviously there's interest in exploring sort of how, how this works and how it can change or evolve. And so I think that would be helpful. And, uh, and Lee, maybe to get your thoughts, similar to the card room discussion, this may have, depending on what the council decides to do, may have budgetary implications. Um, is it possible or worthwhile to bring to, to whoever makes the motion to, to say bring this back, say before the end of March, or you know, in some sort of time frame?
4: Yeah, I think I think that would be good timing. And if it's just a cross reference, it's it's pretty easy for us to move it along. So within the next few meetings, we can find uh, an agenda that has appropriate room and put it on. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, I, w- I would just whoever makes the motion maybe yeah. by the end of March or March <coughs> just to.
6: Give, give this some time to, to develop a little bit. So Chair I'll stop talking. I'm willing to make it. it accept the staff report I refer this item to full council in March 30 days.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Second. Okay, there's a motion and a second. Um, did you have more comments, Councilmember Torres? I see your hand. No. Your uh, button's That was to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Any more thoughts? If not, we'll take a vote. Thank you. it's unanimous? Okay, wonderful. And then we'll go. Thank you so much, uh, Wendy, Sergeant Woolsey. Appreciate it. We'll go on to open forum. Do we have any? We have no public comment. No public comment. Okay. Thank you so much. Meeting's adjourned. Have a nice day.